Latino, Brazilian dance, folklore, and theater at the Kaiser Center Auditorium in Oakland and the Brava Theater for the Arts in San Francisco. This performance follows on the heels of Aguas de Bahia's sellout shows this summer and their acclaimed debut at the 2002 Ethnic Dance Festival. Tickets and information online at www.aguasdabahia.com. KPFA, KPFB, Berkeley, KSCF, Fresno, where the time is 3.30 p.m. Stay tuned for Stone's Throw, which is up next. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule So divide up those in darkness From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys, there's your picture Drop the shadows This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, November the 25th, 2003, and it's turkey time. Turkey time, folks. <laughs> the Reagans will be on TV November the 30th. That's Friday. It's a TV movie on Showtime this Friday at 8 p.m. CBS Network Television caved to the pressure from right-wing reactionaries. So the show is going to be seen by a much smaller audience, perhaps a more discriminating audience, on cable's Showtime channel. Uh, now, the momentous decision to take this show off the November sweep schedule was made by uh, the bosses there, the producers, on Election Day. Ho, ho, ho! I smell a rat. After the Republican neocons made a big fuss, CBS decided to um, scrap the show, at least. Well, maybe, maybe in the future we will see it on network TV, but for now it's going to cable. CBS is part of that Viacom corporate empire. You know all the vested interests involved there. Former Ronald Reagan aide Ed Rollins, here's a quote. He's quoted in the TV Guide. He says, this isn't a good time to diss off Republicans. He didn't say diss, folks. He said the other word, the one I can't say on radio. I got in a lot of trouble once for using that. P-word. What a world. What a world where a word, yes, a little word, actually. I hadn't planned to watch the show, The Reagans, uh, the biopic, but now I have to spend four hours on, uh, well, I don't know, um, somebody called it a love story, but I, I think maybe it's just a, a soap opera. Anyway, the retro right wing says that uh, this is a hatchet job on the former president and his wife Nancy and that that it is in very bad taste seeing as um, Nancy Reagan is a frail woman in her 80s and the president 
is uh, no longer with us in uh, uh, in a sense. Time magazine once called Nancy Reagan the gaze. <laughs> that described her look as she gazed at Ronnie. Now, whether she was mesmerizing him or just herself, I could never quite figure out. Uh, I do remember Time magazine also quipped, quote, the rich are always with her. And they went on to describe Nancy's need for status and money. Uh, Nancy's father had left her mother when she was very young, and it took her mother a little while to go out and get another very rich husband, and apparently this undermined her confidence. Nancy confused being a public servant with being a princess, you know, uh, she thought that uh, being the president's wife was something like being at the top of the social register. She didn't have the Eleanor Roosevelt slant on things. I remember most um, the instant antipathy between Nancy Reagan and the late Raisa Gorbachev. You remember the wife of Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, of the once Soviet Union before the Great Red Star burnt out completely. Raisa Gorbachev uh, was a serious scholar. She died of cancer a few years back here. She was one of those who took very seriously her role as a uh, world leader. Not the sort of woman that Nancy Reagan cared to sit down with, you know. That was not her kind of competition. Uh. <laughs> anyway, Senate Minority Leader Tom Daschle told CNN that, quote, it smells of intimidation, this putting down of the show. Yes, indeed, folks. Anyway, uh, the Reagans are icons, in the Republican pantheon, just at the present, you know, the fashion, the fascist fashion of the moment. CBS chief Leslie Moonves, I cannot pronounce his name, it's spelled M-O-O-N-V-E-S. He apparently tried to edit the film. He wanted to, uh, you know, to get across with the power brokers and make everybody happy. He cut the lines about AIDS being the fruit of sin, all that sort of thing. Um, uh, there's a great argument about exactly what Ronald Reagan said, something to the effect that uh, this was a plague on uh, naughty folks. But still, the buzz I read in all the popular magazines and so forth says that the producers had an agenda because most of them are Democrats. Reagan is being played by uh, James Brolin. That's the husband of Barbara Streisand. Very suspicious, I would say, yes. Judy Davis is playing Nancy. Now, Judy Davis is one of the great actors of our time, actually, whatever her politics. She is the famous Australian actress. Uh, in my uh, frame of reference... She's pretty much taken the place of the great Glenda Jackson. Um, I was thinking the other day, anything that she's in is worth watching. So Friday night I'll sit down and spend four hours with this show. Uh, I believe she will make Nancy Reagan relatively sympathetic. 
Uh, Judy Davis, let's see, she played Lillian Hellman a little while back in a biopic of the playwright Lillian Hellman's life with Dashiell Hammett. That was pretty interesting. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the actor Judy Davis, um, rent some of her films, Kangaroo, wonderful movie from the book by D.H. Lawrence. The most interesting one, the one I usually give to people who aren't familiar with Judy Davis, is the film Children of the Revolution. <laughs> That's one in which her character has a brief encounter with Joseph Stalin and subsequently gives birth to Stalin's son, yes, a child of the revolution. This is complicated by the fact that um, she is a fierce progressive, an idealist, uh, a leftist with many, many illusions. She, of course, had gone off to um, meet Stalin in order to straighten him out. Try that film, uh, Children of the Revolution. Uh, take it to uh, your Thanksgiving dinner, you know. Try it on your relatives over the holidays. If you want to lighten up the political scene, you know how those polemics get going over the, the uh, dinner. Sometimes that sort of thing clouds family gatherings and it's, what is it, not just lighthearted, it's, it's pretty enlightening. Uh, think about it for a minute. Joe Stalin Jr. raised by a leftist mom now there's a thought <laughs> or three anyway it's the holiday season and i'm going to try to be upbeat i have another note here telling me that i'm too gloomy lately so today i i went out and wandered around in the beautiful sunshine and i looked at our incredible landscape here it's so beautiful all the folks from the east coast came here and planted their trees so now we have gold and red and I uh, walked from my house past the Zen Center and past the uh, the uh, uh, the Buddhist temple from Thailand all these great places to go oh anything to escape from the oppressive uh, culture wars that go on through the rest of the nation uh, this bloody political scene actually it's so strange Everything that I see on a daily basis is quite beautiful. And uh, if I just didn't turn on the radio or the television, how would I know that the world was going to hell in a handbasket? <laughs> so I'm going to turn off the media and go Christmas shopping today. One-stop sh shopping. Well, actually, I do shop at the KPFA Christmas Crafts Fair. I will be there this year with my books and tapes. I'll be there both days, I hope, if I can stay on my feet and uh, get my little table there by the door. Yes, the craft fair. There's always one or two things I want to buy there, although uh, I'm limited in my uh, scope, yes. But uh, I'm going to just stop at the bookstore this year, one-stop shopping, children's books. I'm going to retreat into the past, Victoriana. Ah, I, lately, I think it must be my age. Uh, the past just doesn't seem so dreadful as the present. I know that that's not true. Uh, uh, I cut out a New Yorker cartoon for my wall this morning. It's in the November 24th issue. It's an old guy 
walking down in an urban street with a woman and child. And he says, hey, he looks grim and he says, everything was better back when everything was worse. And I thought, yes, that's, 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 that's the bit. That's what I hear from most of my friends. Anyway, that's the way it feels to me some days. So I plan to just bury myself in children's classics. I'm still recovering from the shock of finding a uh, old copy of uh, uh, P.L. Travers' Mary Poppins book selling for 60 bucks. I need uh, comfort food for my emotions. And so I'm buying up all the children's books I can find on the theory that they're going to disappear in the next decade. Uh, now, today... I want to pick out a book for the older children, the middle-aged kids, you know, um, the ones who are old enough to read aloud and to enjoy a long narrative. In recent years, I usually talked about books for the very young, but my pick this Christmas is a book uh, almost 200 years old now. It's a collection of tales from Shakespeare written by Charles and Mary Lamb. Now, some people will object and say that this is not Shakespeare, and that is true. It does not compete with Shakespeare on any level. It um, uses many, many quotes from Shakespeare's plays. But what it does is simply give us a lyric rendering of the plays in a fairy tale form. It's useful, very useful, as an introduction to the plays. I remember using it when I was in junior high, and I got a nice copy at, oh, gee, a half-price bookstore in Texas last year. It was only about $5. They don't take on the history plays. Uh, now, as I said, this book dates back 200 years, and uh, I remember first reading it because I had read the story of the authors, Charles and Mary Lamb, and I was fascinated they are two of the sweetest characters in English literature. Uh, Mary, perhaps, was not... Well, sweet might not be the word. Mary Lamb murdered their parents. She was uh, insane, according to the uh, laws of the time. And it seems that uh, this, this fit of madness, which caused her to uh, murder their parents... Uh, caused Charles to stay at home and take care of her for the rest of his life. And they lived together in this strange, um, strange relationship. It seems, yes, that, <laughs> yes, that they sat around and, and wrote these lovely tales from Shakespeare, maybe in a state of total denial, but in any case, this is not cliff notes. This is not um, uh, like master plots or anything. Uh, what they do is they give you the tale in a sort of a gentle form. Uh, they begin with the tempest, midsummer night's dream, winter's tale, much ado as you like it, and so on. Uh, let's see, they include some of the, uh, well, most of the tragedies, King Lear, Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet, and Othello, and I think what it does is it gives you a chance to read the story of the play. And then when you tackle the actual language, you know, things fall into place. Uh, let me see. 
I'm looking here at the the uh, the foreword, the introduction. I'm afraid that the editors haven't bothered to tell you the story of Charles and Mary Lamb in this edition. That would be helpful. I think it would be helpful to put a foreword or a uh, a little piece about the time in which Charles and Mary wrote this uh, this book. In the 20 tales told in this book, the Lamb succeeded in paraphrasing the language of truly adult literature in children's terms. Well, the editor seems to think so, yes. The editor goes on to say that we shouldn't underestimate young readers because they love a complex story, twists of plot, many varied characters, and so forth, turns of fate, um, but that children draw the line at reading in unfamiliar language. Well, yes and no. Uh, Now, the editor goes on to say that the lambs cut the Shakespeare plays to the bare bones, but they also managed to leave enough meat on the bones to provide a real feast of plain fare. They flavored it with as many tasty tidbits of Shakespearean language as they felt a young reader could easily digest. As a result, a young person has the satisfaction of reading the intrinsically appealing stories and at the same time can take pride in the knowledge that he or she has enough maturity and intelligence to truly enjoy Shakespeare. Now, what I find uh, most rewarding is the way in which the lambs give you the story, the narrative, coax you along, and then they tuck in uh, quotations, bits and pieces, uh, lines from the original that fit the tale so nicely. Uh, you know... For example, in A Midsummer Night's Dream, we uh, we see the conversations between the fairies uh, heightened. I love that best. Yes, I can remember being in the play when I was six years old. And this stuff, the chat among the fairies was so funny. Uh, here's this terrific song the fairies sing to lull Titania, their queen, to sleep. I remember Titania was always portrayed as... Um, uh, a very, very snippy, <laughs> a snippy, difficult, yes. Yes, Titania was hard to please and uh, quite difficult, a diva. Anyway, uh, here's the song that the fairies sing. You spotted snakes with double tongue, thorny hedgehogs be not seen. Newts and blind worms do no wrong. Come not near our fairy queen. You remember, Titania, she had to be humiliated <laughs> by falling in love with an ass. Uh, anyway, let's just read a little, a little, little bit of The Tempest, just for fun, just a little glimpse of it. Uh, Tale the First, The Tempest. There was a certain island in the sea, the only inhabitants of which were an old man whose name was Prospero and his daughter Miranda, a very beautiful young lady. She came to this island so young, she had no memory of having seen any other human face than her father's. <laughs> I have a footnote here. You remember when she sees Ferdinand, the young man with whom she falls in love. She uh, has those immortal lines, yes, yeah, so brave new world that hath such people in it. Anyway, uh, Prospero and Miranda live in a cave or cell made out of rock. It's divided into several apartments. 
one of which Prospero called his study, and there he kept his books, which chiefly treated of magic, a study at that time much affected by all learned men. The knowledge of this art he found very useful to him, for being thrown by a strange chance upon this island, which had been enchanted by a witch called Sycorax, who died there a short time before his arrival, Prospero, by virtue of his art, released many good spirits that Sycorax had imprisoned in the bodies of large trees because they had refused to execute her wicked commands. These gentle spirits were ever after obedient to the will of Prospero. Of these spirits... Ariel was the chief. There's a footnote here of my own. You remember Ariel. That's the name of the last collection of poems by Sylvia Plath. The impression that most people have is that Sylvia Plath's spirit was imprisoned in that tree, in a tree that was uh, enchanted by the will of Prospero, um, and that in her last book, she broke free and became a spirit of the air. Uh, um, Charles and Mary Lamb go on to say, that lively little sprite Ariel had nothing mischievous in his nature except that he took rather too much pleasure in tormenting an ugly monster called Caliban. My next footnote says, and you know who that is, don't you? <laughs> Uh, for Ariel owed Caliban a grudge. He was the son of his old enemy, Sycorax, that was the witch, remember. This Caliban Prospero found in the woods, a strange, misshapen thing, far less human in form than an ape. He took him home to his cell, taught him to speak. And Prospero would have been very kind to him, but the bad nature which Caliban had inherited from his mother would not let him learn anything good or useful. Therefore, he was employed like a slave to fetch wood and do the most um, laborious offices. Ariel had the charge of compelling him to these services. <laughs> when Caliban was lazy and neglected his work, Ariel, who was invisible to all eyes but Prospero's, would come slyly and pinch him, sometimes tumble him down in the mire, and then Ariel, in the likeness of an ape, would make mouths at him, then swiftly changing his shape in the likeness of a hedgehog. He would lie tumbling in Caliban's way, who feared the hedgehog's sharp quills would prick his bare feet. With a variety of such like vexatious tricks, Ariel would often torment him whenever Caliban neglected the work which Prospero commanded him to do. Having these powerful spirits obedient to his will, Prospero could by their means command the winds and waves of the sea. By his orders they raised a violent storm, in the midst of which, and struggling with the wild sea waves that every moment threatened to swallow it up, he showed his daughter a fine, large ship, which he told her was full of living beings like themselves. Oh, my dear father, said she, if by your art you have raised this dreadful storm, have pity on their sad distress. See, the vessel will be dashed to pieces, 
Poor souls, they will all perish. If I had power, I would sink the sea beneath the earth rather than the good ship should be destroyed and all the precious souls within her. Be not so amazed, daughter Miranda, said Prospero. There is no harm done. I have so ordered it that no person in the ship shall receive any hurt. What I have done has been in care of you, my dear child. You are ignorant of who you are, where you came from. You know no more of me but that I am your father and live in this poor cave. Can you remember a time before you came to this cell? I think you cannot, for you were not then three years of age. Certainly I can, sir, replied Miranda. By what? asked Prospero. By any other house or person? Tell me what you remember, my child. Miranda said, it seems to me like the remembrance of a dream. But had I not once four or five women who attended upon me? Prospero answered, you had and more. How is it that this still lives in your mind? Do you remember how you came here? No, sir, said Miranda. I remember nothing more. Twelve years ago, Miranda continued Prospero, I was Duke of Milan. You were a princess and my only heir. I had a younger brother whose name was Antonio, to whom I trusted everything. And as I was fond of retirement and deep study, I commonly left the management of my state affairs to your uncle, my false brother, for so indeed he proved. I, neglecting all worldly ends, buried among my books to dedicate my whole time to the bettering of my mind. <laughs> Anyway, Prospero goes on to explain just exactly how it was that his Faustian bargains uh, got him into trouble and lost him his inheritance because he did not apply himself to practical affairs of state. Of course, we all know the story of the Tempest. And uh, yes, what I will do here is skip, skip just a little bit because I only have a minute or two left to Ariel's song. I remember watching Gwyneth Paltrow quoting it in the film about Sylvia Plath. She's out on a ship on the sea. She only got one word wrong. Um, she only tried four or five of these lines. But she did quote Ariel's famous song, one of my lifetime favorites. Uh, Full fathom five thy father lies, of his bones are coral made. Those are pearls that were his eyes. Nothing of him that doth fade, but doth suffer a sea change into something new and strange. Sea nymphs hourly ring his knell. Hark, now I hear them. Ding, dong, bell. Oh, yes. Let's see. Brave New World. The Brave New World of the Outside World, Miranda learns <laughs> about reality and figures out who she is. The Tempest is the kind of play that is open to every interpretation. You can imagine uh, always there's a new interpretation with each generation. Uh, it seems to be about freedom and what it costs us. Uh, Ariel breaks free from the tree. The spirit uh, 
little spirit Ariel. And he is sad to leave Prospero, but he plans to live very merrily when he's free. And he sings where the bee sucks, there suck I. In a cowslip's bell I lie. There I couch when owls do cry. On the bat's back I do fly. After summer merrily, merrily. Merrily shall I live now under the blossom that hangs on the bough. I recommend this little book, Tales from Shakespeare, written by Charles and Mary Lamb, two very strange and um, eccentric characters in English literature. Charles Lamb wrote many other things and spent his life taking care of his quite insane sister Mary. And to amuse themselves by the hearth, they wrote these tales from Shakespeare. I'll be back on the air... Oh, after Thanksgiving, I'll be back on the air next week at this time, Tuesday at 3.30. Till then, go easy. This has been Jennifer Stone. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Happy endings are the rules. So divide up those in darkness. From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys There's your picture Drop the shadow Ah